to begin by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we gather today. And I pay my respects to their elders, past and present. I extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples here today. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Inspired by Yarra. This is the podcast that has been created to enhance, connect and inspire the Yarra Valley Grammar community and beyond. So wherever you're tuning in to, welcome to episode 101 of the Inspired by Yarra podcast. And like always, we're thrilled to introduce you to a guest. This is our first ever repeat guest. He was with us on back, back on episode 001. And now we have him here on episode 101. Andy Griffiths from the class of 1979. Esteemed musician, uh, not so much. Great writer though, that's how most of us know him. Griff, as he was known to his mates at school, or Andrew, more formally, more commonly known and more personally known by many of us. At least we feel like we know him personally as Andy, the author of the Treehouse series and many other great classic books that have uh, continued to be bestsellers. In, uh, in our libraries, home libraries, school libraries, community libraries, much loved Andy Griffiths. Enjoy this opportunity to sit down with Andy as we talk a little bit about writing and we answer some student questions and he allows us to enter into some of the depths of his own thinking and his processes and the adventures that he's able to get up to through the pages of the books that we have come to know and love. Enjoy this conversation with Andy Griffiths, Yog, 1979. Andy, welcome aboard. Thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure. Great to be here. Andy, many people would uh, be familiar with your name. Many perhaps not so familiar that uh, you grew up perhaps out in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne. Um, yep. Can you tell us a little bit about your early memories of school life? What, what year did you start at Yarra? I came to Yarra Valley at 1974. I started in year seven and prior to that, well, I was living in Vermont. Um, so I'd been to Eastmont State Primary School. And then my, uh, my best friend, Danny Pickett, was, uh, was going to Yarra Valley. And he uh, told me excitedly he was going to a private school. And I had no idea what that meant. And I was, good on you. And then uh, towards the end of the year, my parents said, oh, you're going to um, Yarra Valley with Danny. So I was like, great, I'm with Danny Pickett. So um, that was the attraction, wasn't it, that you still got to be with your mate Danny? That was pretty much it, yeah. that's. <laughs> I was very happy, yeah. And back in those days, do you recall, uh, did you have to wear a tie? Yes, we had to wear a uniform, a tie, uh, a cherry red blazer. Um, and, um, yeah, that was a new kind of experience for, for me. Yes. Yes. And probably with matching school shorts and long socks. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think what color the socks were. Were they white? Uh, maybe. Yeah, it might've been a white or a bit of an off gray. Um, yeah. There's a photo of me, a class photo of our year seven class. And I had John Lawley as my, um, home group teacher. Uh, and I'm sitting next to him, very upright, very well. My hair is brushed, the tie is straight, and uh, my socks are pulled up to my knees. Uh, <laughs> it's quite a contrast from the following year in 1975 when I was in year eight. You can see the hair is messy, the tie is crooked, and uh, I'm starting to go off the rails just about there. But year seven was good. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I wonder whether we might actually unpack a little bit of that journey because perhaps that's where some of the fun started for you. Um, mm -hmm. Because there are certain rules and regulations and expectations of a, a young student going to a school like Yarra Valley Grammar, and we're very proud of those things. But it's not all sweet sailing all the time for all of the students. Um, are there experiences of your, let's say, year eight, year nine, where you remember, did, did you happen to get into any trouble, Andy Griffiths? Um, look, the worst trouble I got into was my name was always the top of the list of fines for people who didn't bring their library books back on time. Oh, uh, I see. Well, that was, <laughs> that was my things. specialty. <laughs> 
<laughs> and is that because, okay, let, let's go there. Is that because you lost them? Is it because you devoured them and read them over and over and over again or because you just borrowed so many at a time? It's because I didn't want to let go of them wow. once, once I'd had them. Uh, like I would form a very intense relationship with a book and it might be 2001, A Space Odyssey was a, was a favourite, um, 13 Ways to Dispose of a Body, a collection of crime, gory crime stories. Um, yeah, they just become part of me and I'd like, oh, I don't want to, you know, it's like getting rid of a friend or something. <laughs> I just want to have it a little bit longer. Yes. Wow, that's fascinating. So so from right really very early, you had a, an affinity with books. You were able to get lost in the adventure and the story of books how many books do you read at a time? Is that is that something that you could have, you know, one in the bathroom and three next to your bed and two in your school bag? Or was it one at a time and you'd go deep into one? It's generally one at a time and I'll go very deep. Okay. Um, these days, you know, I do force myself to stay with one book because I'll, I'll have multiple books that I could be reading at any time. But, yeah, I, I have a discipline, one book. And, and I kind of live inside that book while I'm uh, reading it and, and it bleeds into my, my everyday life and my, um, my writing, of course. So yes. I have to, be, have to be careful what I'm reading when I'm writing because uh, if I'm reading an academic text, that may be not so helpful if I'm trying mm. to write simple, funny treehouse stories. And, and do you find are you one of those people who once you start a book, you have to finish it or, or if it's not grabbing you, do you move on? I move on. I, I have right. what I call the first first sentence test, uh, the first paragraph test, and the first page test. I'm like, I'm really tough. If you haven't grabbed me by the end of the first page, I'm out of there. Right. Uh, I've got other things to do. Um, and that's what I see as the author's responsibility is to grab their reader's attention and, and hold it. Now, it may be that I'm not the right reader for that book too. So it may not be the author's fault, but there are, t there are too many books, too many ex great experiences to be had to force yourself to drag yourself through a, a book that you're not enjoying. There's very little point in that. Yes. And, and as you've, I, I guess, become more able to sustain your own library as such, do you still use the local library and borrow books and have a have a you know, you're at the top of the borrower's list that haven't returned, <laughs> or do you now buy books? I tend to buy books uh, because then I don't have to have the pain <laughs> of, of letting them go. Um, but, I look, I will end up in the library a few times a year still and, um, and, and just expose myself to discovering books I haven't seen before or I didn't know I wanted to read. Uh, and I'll class the library as a great place for that, a second-hand shop. Mm. I can't resist going and checking their, their um, uh, you know, discarded books because there's treasures in those. Um, and, uh, and even if I get one idea from a book, that's worth the investment of having yes. read it or, or bought, buying it. Yeah. Let's go back to your childhood again for a little bit. Um, how did you travel? So you're at, living in Vermont and then you're travelling out to Ringwood for, to, to go to school at Yarra Valley Grammar. What was that trip yeah. like? Uh, that was fun. We had a bus that, would, uh, that did that route and it would pick us up at the bottom of Holyrood Drive um, that, and I would be travelling with Danny Pickett and my, our other friend Jeremy Kales. So um, the, bus, uh, the bus ride was a bit of a highlight, I must admit. It was a whole culture on that bus and the, uh, the, the excitement of every year moving a little bit further up the back until you could control the back seats in yes. uh, the later years. And there were a lot of jokes and a lot of, lot of fun to be had on the bus too, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm pleased to say that... At over the course of our 100 or so episodes that there is a there is a thing for those who travel by bus and and you're quite right that that notion of moving back gradually each year that's still a thing mm. yeah and um, we were and i remember one time we were obsessed with the bus driver taking the wrong it was he was going too long and we, we brought out a map and we showed him how to take us through the streets <laughs> which i think he did once <laughs> but, yeah. Tell me a little bit about then your own home. Tell your, your backyard. What what was what were some of the adventures that you got up to in your backyard? 
it was uh, not so much the backyard, but we lived in a developing housing area. It was full of orchards. It was next to the Dandenong Creek. So a typical day on a weekend would be um, get on the purple dragster, um, <laughs> get Danny, get my friend Mark, and, and off we would ride um, and just play down at the, the creek. Um, when it was firecracker season, that was the best because you could go to the milk bar, buy 50 cents worth of dynamite <laughs> and just find many creative ways to uh, explode that dynamite. Um, so uh, climbing trees was obviously big and our parents didn't really know what we were doing and that was uh, a very creative, it was wonderful freedom, which yes. I think uh, is what I use in my books even today, I draw on that. I, I, we can do anything, yeah. Absolutely. Um, Andy, what we've done is, is we've taken the opportunity to invite a couple of students to ask a question. And I've got a question here from Eric. And Eric, uh, he's in year five. And I'm just going to play that track for you now and, and see whether uh, you resonate with his question and, and perhaps offer a, a, a thoughtful response. Okay. Here's Eric. Hi, Andy. My name is Eric. And my question is, what got you interested in treehouses? Because I don't have one right now, but I wish I did. <laughs> Thanks, Eric. Uh, look, I wish I had had a treehouse when I was your age too. But uh, we didn't have one. We didn't have a tree big enough. But my cousin David did. He had an oak tree in the backyard and just a single platform. Uh, it wasn't multi-level story by any means. Didn't have a shark tank or a bowling alley. But what we had was each other and we would just play imaginative games up there all afternoon whenever I would go to visit. Um, and I loved it because we were sort of in a world away from the, the ground, away from adults, and we were just lost in this imaginary game. And probably about 10 years ago, uh, we, Jill and I were living in a three-storey townhouse in Williamstown and Terry would come over every now and again and we would write the books together. And we'd be sitting there up there looking out at the world as if we were in a treehouse and we're making up games. You know, like, what if what if Andy did this? And what if Professor Stupido uninvented the whole world? I mean, what would we do then? And I realised this is exactly the same state of mind as I was in when I was in grade five um, in my cousin's treehouse. So... I, I said to Terry, we should make you write a book about making a book and we'll set it in a treehouse. So wow, that's how that's that happened. A beautiful memory. And thank you for taking us back into that. And it, I guess it's a reminder of the experiences of our childhood. Um, if we can hang on to them, if we can remember them, they will come back and return. And then it's perhaps up to us to find a way to, to share those dreams and visions and adventures with other people. And, and you've done that through writing. Yeah, and it was also partly a way for me to have that treehouse because when I said to Terry, can you draw a, a multi-level treehouse and he came back with the first plan, which was the 13-storey treehouse, I was like, wow, that is the, that's the ultimate treehouse. I really want to write this book because then I can live imaginatively in that um, structure Beautiful. every day. So, And, you know, the wonderful thing about our brains is that and, and the terrible thing about our brains, we can't always tell, the brain can't always tell whether it's really happening or whether you're imagining, imagining it. Um, and so that's, it's a lovely state to be in. As, it, it long as, you can, as long as you can ultimately tell the difference when you need <laughs> to be able to tell the difference. Yes, yes. And clearly, clearly your time at school and, and some of those memories you've just shared now uh, has a lot to do with friends and, and the memories that you create with friends. Um, did you have a lot of friends at school? Um, I think I had a, a small core of uh, very good friends and that would have been Danny, um, Mark Buchanan, uh, who I know you've interviewed for the podcast. We, we had the Environment Club together and we did many, many bushwalks together. So I was very hooked into the bushwalking club. So I had... Uh, a group of like-minded uh, people there. Yeah. It leads me to offer you this question from Amy, and uh, she's got a lot of friends, and that's a good position to be in. Here's a question from Amy. Hi, Andy. My name is Amy. I work with my friends in the classroom a lot. How did 
you meet Terry to work with him? Uh, great question, Amy. Um, I met Terry when a publisher introduced us in 1993. Well, in fact, she, she didn't introduce us with my first book there. She said, I know the perfect illustrator for this material. His name's Terry. He's a freelance illustrator. He's got a bit of a wacky sense of humour and I think he'll do a really good job on your, your stories. Um, and he did. He, the, when I saw what he was drawing, I was like, if I could draw, this is exactly what I would draw. Mm. He, he got what I was about. And um, that was an, an educational book. Just Tricking, my first proper book, wasn't published till 1997. And that was with Terry's help because he, um, he, uh, he helped introduce me to a, to a trade publisher to, to, um, to write that book. And we've been working together ever since. Um, and we just, he, he calls us brothers um, because it's like we're brothers. We know what the other is thinking and we know how to st stretch the other one to go to places we haven't been yet. So I, I, I make him draw more and more uh, crazy, chaotic stuff as, as we've gone along. And, he, and those illustrations feed my imagination and my storytelling. Yes. Can you tell me a little bit about his process? Does he, is he a pen and paper? Is he digital? How, how, how does he create his illustrations for your books? He once told me his happiest moment, his happiest time is just being at home slapping ink on paper. Wow. Uh, so that's his his process. He also told me he wasn't the best drawer in his class at school, but he was the one who was doing it all the time. So he he ended up really putting those thousands of hours of drawing practice in just mm. because he loved it. And I, I relate to that. I was not the best writer in my class. I wasn't the best student, but I was always writing something, uh, mm. usually to amuse myself and my friends. And um, I think if you just follow that passion, um, that that takes you along to places you can't see where it might lead. Because yes. I, didn't, I didn't have a career ambition to be a writer. Um, that was just unthinkable. There was right. no, no models. Books came from the UK as far as I was concerned. They were Enid Blyton and Roald Dahl. Yes. And, yeah. So, but I was always writing and Terry was always drawing. These days, uh, Terry would be digital as well. Okay, and, yes. And exploring that. Yes. It, it, it does prompt me to um, throw to a question that Jess has. Jess is a year eight student and the relationship between you and Terry, uh, I guess at times becomes not just all play. Maybe there's some work in there and Perhaps the odd disagreement. Here's Jess. Bonjour, Mr. Griffiths. My question is, have you ever had um, a big disagreement with Terry? Bonjour, um, Jess. Uh, have I ever had a big fight? Look, in 25 years, I can only really remember one moment of friction. Um, and that was around the drawing of... Uh, the, the writing of a 130-storey treehouse where we had some giant flying eyeballs from outer space uh, abducting us in the treehouse and taking us up to Eyeballia. And I was very keen on this book because I loved lurid science fiction when I was at school. Uh, monsters, sort of crazy scientists in laboratories in, inventing wild things. And so I really knew what I wanted these eyeballs to look like. And Terry couldn't quite get it uh, the way my, ten, my inner 10-year-old wanted it. And so I kept sending them back saying, could you a bit more, you know, a bit bigger, a bit more drippy, a bit more, uh, you know, bleh. And um, finally he, he did get a bit cross with me and say, <laughs> look, Get out of my face. <laughs> you do the writing, I'll do the drawing. And, um, and that was a fair call too because you'll notice in the books Andy is always, you know, he's a bit bossy. And uh, I've drawn on our, our actual characters in real life for those books. Um, 
in real life, we don't smash each other around. We don't. I don't. I never pushed his head into the sun, as I did in the books. <laughs> we we need drama when we're writing the fiction, but in real life, it's really been a very harmonious um, uh, relationship, and we we only ever want the best idea. So it doesn't matter who comes up with it. It's yes. um, what what idea best serves the book, and then we we move on. Because of, I mean, as a as a dad, I've read your books with my children, and and we love your books. And there's a fascinating array of quirky and imaginative and crazy and and gross ideas that you come up with. Is that is it based on your experience, or is it your imagine? Like you must be a quirky sort of a character yourself to be able to think of such things. <clears throat> What are some quirky things about you that maybe your readers don't know? Or do we actually read it all in your book? I think you've got a pretty good idea of the inside of my head. Uh, I was a quirky kid. I always had a sort of left of centre imagination. Um, I was always fascinated by the opposite of what you're supposed to do, um, which is, you know, the stuff of good children's books. Uh characters transgress they do the wrong thing mm. and then we as readers can enjoy the uh the consequences of that in in a safe way um so yeah look i loved i loved laughter i loved um monty python flying circus was when i was in year seven that was that first came on the television and mm. i was like wow these, you really can think anything and, and real life is kind of a form of nonsense if you look at it in the right way. So I was always attracted to the odd and the unusual um, and, and I found books and films and TV shows to support that. Yes. Um, it seems to me that the number 13 is odd and there's some, you know, mystery around 13 and so forth. Emma yep. has got this question for you about the number 13. Hi, Andy, I'm Emma. And my question to you is why did you choose to start with the number 13? Thanks, Emma. Um, when Terry had done that initial drawing of the 13 story treehouse, there were many little platforms. And if you count them, from that first picture, there could have been 12, there could have been 14, it depends. Some of them were a bit iffy. But I thought, look, I'm gonna cut through the middle there. 13 is a, is a great memorable number because we're all a bit scared of um, Friday the 13th, even if we're not superstitious, you, you still clock it. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so that's, as a, from a writing point of view, I thought, well, that's a memorable number. I'll call it the 13-storey treehouse. Um, since doing that, I've discovered that 100 years ago, 13 was regarded as, actually, in fact, a lucky number. Um, in, mm. um, in America, people would have their, wind, their stained glass windows divided into 13 sections because that was good luck. Wow. So, so the number 13 has had a, an interesting history. It's certainly been... Good luck for for us. Yeah. Yes, well, it has indeed, and and obviously, you know, your fans will know that it went from thirteen, and then plus another thirteen levels, and then another thirteen, and so on. It uh, it it begs the question. It's almost an impossible question. Uh, this is from uh, Kyra. Kyra's got a question from Year Four. Hi Andy, I'm Kyra and I've read all your Treehouse books. I really enjoy them and I've been wanting to ask this question. What's your favourite Treehouse book? Oh Kyra, that is the, uh, the, the toughest question of them all. Um, obviously I love them all uh, because I would not put out a book unless I, I thought, well, it's really, really good and I, and I like it. Um, I guess I've, there's a couple of ways to answer. Um, I think I've already given you the hint that I loved lurid science fiction stories. So 130 story trios where we got to go out into space was really close to my heart. And I, and I was very happy with the eyeballs that Terry eventually <laughs> did draw. Um, and uh, 65 story 
uh, Treehouse. Likewise, it's a time travel story and I was a sucker for them. Mm. And um, so we visit eight or nine different time periods. Each one is something that I'm fascinated with. So dinosaurs, I love, I've always loved dinosaurs um, and, um, and ancient Egypt and thinking about the very beginning of time where Andy and Terry travel back 650 million years where life is just single cell amoebas in a little puddle, um, which we help uh, modestly, I must say, we did help our life to evolve because of what we did back there. We protected them from the sun. So um, Yes, I remember that one. Thank you so much for the work you did back then. <laughs> Thank you. I don't hear that enough, really, but <laughs> but I know what happened. Yes. Uh, so so sixty five, and also I would nominate thirty nine uh, story where we encounter the encounter the dreaded Professor Stupido, who has the power to uninvent things mm. that annoy him, mm. and it we enlist him to get rid of the writing and drawing machine. But but then I use that question: What's the worst thing that could happen next? You've solved a problem. But what could go really badly wrong is he starts uninventing everything that yes. annoys him and um, eventually the whole universe is uninvented and yes. Terry has to draw it back. Yeah. Um, so I, I do love that kind of outlandish plot and character. Outlandish is an excellent description of the way that you think and the way that you progress your ideas. I should say, though, that being said, that there is a part in me that would like to get rid of things that annoy me, and we've all felt that. It yes. could be a person, it could be a barking dog. Oh, if only I could just get rid of that. And so that's what I harness when mm. I'm creating that character. I let that part of me have full reign in the form of the professor and I get to explore, well, would it be good to be able to uninvent that? Thing? Oh, no, maybe not. Um, so so but, I'm tapping but at the, into... At the same time, there's a, a hook there for, for the audience because, like you say, we all actually have had a moment where we wish we could get rid of a certain thing or a certain person. So there is that connection with the reader, which is beautifully handled, but the way that you, you, know, you then explore what if. Yeah, and this is what books do for us. I think they allow us to recognise and explore certain parts of our psychology. And um, and I, I, my belief is that we are, we actually are many different people at uh, many different times. Mm. So certain times it can be very peaceful and loving and that dog next door won't bother you a bit um, because you're just in your... Enjoy, enjoyable, the part of your personality that likes to just enjoy life. Yes. But sometimes the angry part comes in uh, or the, the jealous part or um, it could be the I've got to get things done, you know, I can't just sit here. But I think we need to be sensitive to all of those areas in ourselves and, and play them like a conductor plays an orchestra. Yes. Sometimes it's appropriate to be angry. Sometimes you need to pull that back and bring forward a more sympathetic, empathetic part of yourself. Yes. And once again, I think this is one of the benefits of, of reading books and fiction um, can really help us recognise those parts of ourselves. Yeah, beautiful. That's beautiful. We're speaking with Andy Griffiths from the class of 1979, the Yog Yarra Old Grammarian. Andy, there are lots of students at, at Yarra now who, in fact, at every year level, they are involved in the art and craft of writing. And to be fair, some of them find it challenging and difficult yep. and, and some of them feel like there's somebody over their back sort of saying, you must do this, you must and keep pushing through. Josh is in year six and he's curious. He's, he's a good little writer, but he's curious about part of your experience. Here's a question from Josh. Um, hi, Andy. I'm, I'm a big fan of all your Treehouse books especially, and um, I'd like to ask you a question. Um, when did you first have the passion to become an author? And how old were you when you first started writing? Uh, thanks, Josh. I was uh, writing from the age of five or six, um, funny little cartoons and get well cards from my father that said, dear dad, get well soon or you are doomed. <laughs> um, 
part of the opposite part of my, do the opposite of what people expect. So I was always having fun with it. Um, I did love uh, music and rock and roll and I loved Alice Cooper and David Bowie in the 70s and I started writing songs. Um, so I didn't have an ambition to be a writer as such. But when I look back, I was always writing something mm. for some reason. Uh, and it wasn't until maybe the age of about 27, 28, where I, I got a dip ed um, and became an English teacher. And for the first time, I met uh, students who hated reading. They mm. just thought books were dumb. They were for the nerds. You know, why would you read a book when you can watch a movie or play a computer game? And I was like, well, why wouldn't you read a book? I mean, you can do those things. But um, so I realised because I'd just grown up with books and I'd never occurred to me that you would think books were, were dumb. Mm. Uh, so I started writing little stories for them. I didn't lecture them. I just said, hey, check out this little thing I've written, which was, I think, the day I was attacked by two brown blobs in the bath <laughs> and when I was three and I didn't know what they were and it was very scary. And, of course, the kids knew exactly what they were mm. and they said, that is so funny. That happened to me. Oh, that's <laughs> my, my cousin vomited in the bath, you know. I say, right, write, write those down, just a paragraph each and draw a picture and then I'll publish it in a book of, you know, terrifying bath experiences. We'll just photocopy, staple the book together and we'll put it in the library. And then you'll be all authors too, mm. sharing your stories. And so they began to get the idea that writing and reading was really just storytelling um, and it could be quite fun because there's nothing that you can't think or write. You know, mm. it's, it's a total freedom. So... Yeah, that's uh, and and that was where my own writing took off. So, right as yes. an English teacher, I started collecting my own stories that I was writing for the kids. Yes, uh, yes. Self self publishing to begin with. So, what do you make of the notion of self publishing versus real publishing? What's you know what's better? What's right? What's wrong? Is there a difference? Um, I think you start small. You, you start just making little books, uh, photocopiers. It's easier than ever, really. Yeah. You now have e-books. Um, but look, in year seven, I was printing, writing and printing a little joke magazine for all my friends. Um, Mr Lawley allowed me to do that for my English project that year <laughs> on a 40 machine, um, <laughs> which was like methylated spirits. Mm. And so... I would, I would collect jokes. I had a guy um, doing cartoons hmm. for it. And another guy was writing a science fiction story. The magazine was called Popcorn and I was typing it all up and I was the editor wow. and selling it to the other kids for three cents a copy. Um, and I think I made about uh, $3. There was a jar sitting in um, Mr Lawley's office and then one of the bad boys of that year stole the money. So mm. <laughs> that was my first publishing venture. But um, I'm just getting experience writing, editing, publishing, like getting it out there. So I, that's how I recommend you start writing. Start Great. small and you can be getting the benefits and reaping the feedback from other readers and it's the feedback that helps you progress to the next you know, level of writing. Yes. At some point, authors do a, a fantastic job, a great job, and there's a, a text that they've written, a, a book, a story that they've written that makes its way into um, into a school setting because, you know, the, the students at year level might study it. I've got a question here from Kayvon. Kayvon's in year 12. He's currently in year 12, and he's, uh, I think, actually... The, the background to this question is he's looking for a little bit of a bit of a pick me up a bit of a, a bit of a, a motivating um, inspiring word from you but here's a question from Kayvon. Hi Andy my name is Kayvon and I'm currently in year 12. I did enjoy reading your treehouse books when I was a kid. Were you inspired by anything you studied in year 12? I was wondering if you studied any Shakespeare when you were in high school. 
Thanks, Kevin. Uh, I certainly did. I was lucky enough to study Macbeth. Um, in year 11, we, uh, I first encountered it and uh, we were fortunate enough to be taken along to the, the um, Forest Hill Cinema to see the Roman Polanski version of Macbeth. And I just fell in love with it. Like I hadn't enjoyed Shakespeare until that moment. Hmm. And I just went, oh, my goodness, what a story. This guy <laughs> does, you know, he kills the king to, because he can't wait for things to happen. And then he realises he's done the wrong thing and he has to cover it up. But that, um, that movie is so visceral, so immediate, I, I forgot I was even listening to Shakespeare. Um, I then studied <coughs> the same play again in year 12 and then again in first year university. Wow. <coughs> I knew it so well you could just show, throw me a line and I could tell you what act, scene and verse it was from. Uh, and I have had the, <coughs> excuse me, I've had the very fortunate experience of adapting that for the Bell Shakespeare Company as the book, as the play, Just Macbeth. Mm. And um, that was really fun, boiling Shakespeare down so that a family audience could understand it yes. and, and thrill to it and be scared by it. But also I put a lot of laughs in there to make the medicine go down. <laughs> so, um, yeah. That's great. Uh, that's a beautiful reflection too. And to to have had the opportunity to study it and, you know, students these days, I think, would repel at the idea of studying a, a book and then the next year going back at it again and eat, what, there's more that I need to learn and understand about this book. So three years in a row, you've got really gone deep on that book. And uh, But then, as you say, you, you came to know it so well and, and love it and, and have a passion for it that, that you then, you know, I guess, created your own interpretation of it. Yeah, Shakespeare is fascinating because you can, no matter how many times you read it, um, you'll find something new and it changes as you get older mm. too. Mm. So that when he said um, tomorrow and to life is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. Uh, when I was a rebellious 17, 18-year-old, I just went, yeah, that's what it is, man. Yes. <laughs> it, it means nothing and nothing means nothing. Um, but now as an adult, I think that's an optional interpretation. And what I see, I know I would interpret it, that he has murdered so many people. He's actually made his own life meaningless. Um, mm. There's no good in his world anymore. He's, he's severe. <laughs> severely depressed to um, uh, make an understatement. But, yeah, it changes all the time and, and Shakespeare just somehow, as one of my professors at uh, university said, that he seemed to know everything hmm. and you'll discover that the deeper you allow yourself to go. And it's probably the, the quality of an enduring <clears throat> text is that you can come back at it again and again and as you mature, as your own view of the world changes and your perspective and your maturity yep. and so forth, that you you do start to see different things. And for me, a lot of the Pixar films are able to do that. There's there's plenty of good, fun laughs in there for, for a, a kid audience, but there's actually some some beauty in there for adults as well. And, and I think your books capture the same. Like I said, there would be parents everywhere who who have a giggle <laughs> at, yeah. at your books as they're reading it with their children. It, it's a beautiful gift that you have given us. Yeah, well, you don't lose your sense of humour as you grow older, um, although you can become detached from it because you get too obsessed with the to-do list and all mm. the serious things we have to do. But to me, laughter and enjoyment is an essential part. It's the top of the to-do list because nothing else means anything unless you're actually enjoying it. And books and comedy shows are formal periods where we can come and enjoy that. And I'm aware that uh, parents are reading the books along with their kids. So mm. Our first reference is ourselves, me, Terry and Jill, have to love the idea first. Right. And that would be a bit of writing advice I give to anyone if you're writing something and you're not really into it, that's painful for you and it's going to not 
be very enjoyable for your readership. So yeah. find a way of making that thing that you're writing relevant to, to your life, mm. um, however you do that. That's, uh, that's great advice. I wonder, I, I love the notion of finding the joy and, and I wonder whether you would indulge me for a moment and, and whether you would read with me from one of your latest books, Treehouse Tales, and, and I just want to flick through to a story um, and it's titled The Secret Secret. And, and if you wouldn't mind, I'll, I'll pretend to be Terry and how about you play oh. Andy? That's uh, I'm a very bad actor, so I'm I'm quite happy with that uh, that role. Yes. All right. Let's let's see how we go, and then and then following this, um, there's a question from Owen. But okay. uh, let let's read this short piece of text first. Hey, Andy. Guess what? What? I've got a secret. What is it? Well, I can't tell you. Why not? Well, because it's a secret. If I told you, then you'd go and tell somebody else and then it wouldn't be a secret anymore. I promise I won't tell anybody. If you tell me, I promise it will stay secret forever and ever. Promise? Pinky promise. With sugar on top. Okay. Here goes. Now, I actually need you, Andy, to lean into this question and see whether you might share a secret secret with us. Nobody else is listening. But here's a question from Owen. Hi, I'm Owen, and my question is, how many books are you going to write? <laughs> uh, look, um, uh, there is a big clue in the number 13. Uh, you'll find that we started with 13 platforms. We started uh, with 13 flying cats. Every book has 13 chapters. Uh, if we have a, a ice cream parlor, it's got 78 flavors, which is a multiple of 13. So um, I'm going to, I, I can't tell you because it is a secret. But all I can tell you is there is a very big clue there. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. So, Owen, go back in there, have a dig around again and see what you can discover. That's great. <laughs> Thank you, Andy. Thank you. I've got one more question from a student that I'd like to, to share with you. And, and, Andy, you've been beautifully generous with your time and I really appreciate it. Um, and this is, again, from a Year 12 student who's, who's trying to take a step back from your writing and uh, and perhaps see what it's actually all about. This is from Bailey in Year 12. Sure. Hi, Andy. Uh, my name's Bailey and I'm in Year 12. I was wondering what message or purpose you intended to give children through your Treehouse series. Thank you. Hi, Bailey. Um, when I began writing, I set out with the express intention not to send any messages to my readers because the sort of books I enjoyed were just... Enid Blyton books, basically, blends of adventure, fantasy and fun. And that's what I was kind of concerned that books had become seen as devices to deliver messages and to educate us. And I thought, well, that's fine. But the kind of books I loved as a kid were pure adventure, pure imagination. Um, that being said, there is a very serious purpose to the books, which is to try to convert the reader into someone who loves books and loves the process of reading. So I'm working really hard, very seriously, to make the process of reading the book as enjoyable, involving and impactful as possible so that when they put the book down, they go, wow, that was great. I want another experience like that, whether mm. it's one of my books or, of course, eventually you'll, you'll move on. Um, but you are, you've been sold on reading. That's the message. I love that. And, and for parents, for educators and for, for students, I wonder what, what's your message to, to people about reading and the value of reading, the importance of, obviously you're passionate about it. You, you've just said that part of your purpose for writing the Treehouse series, and in fact, all of your, is to allow people an opportunity to fall in love with reading. There are some who don't. 
And yep. I wonder if, if you know, if, if I'm a parent and I've got a, a child who, 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 who won't read or, or is a reluctant yep. reader and, and yet they've got to read three books by the end of term and so on and so on and so on. What are some tips or guidance or advice that you'd have for, to help encourage people to become readers? Well, I guess there's a couple of levels of, of falling in love with reading. Some people will go on to read books all their lives. It'll become their hobby, their special interest. Others, uh, you just need at least a functional level of literacy. And that's what uh, I hope the books are doing for many children is they're just reading enough to, so that the process of reading and um, decoding text is it gets them to be able to do whatever job or pursue whatever interest or career they eventually are going to do. So no, you don't need to read books all your life. Um, but um, I, th I think as parents um, is to relax and try to find the book that is or the reading material that mm -hmm. turns your kid on. And everyone's passionate about something, whether it's dinosaurs or monsters in my case, or it could be car manuals, just reading it. How does a machine work? Mm. Um, uh, it could be the natural world. Uh, it's very rare that a child is interested in nothing, but often a kid might pick up that car magazine and then they're told, oh, no, that's not a proper book. You should be reading this whatever the proper book is. Mm. Um, and th that's, I think, telling the kid, that's putting them off reading and um, maybe they then work to find books about cars or machines, whatever that is. Mm. Um, but to just relax and also to, to make sure you're modelling the process, like uh, take that time away from your phone, from the screen to, to be involved and show, show the child that you are a reader as well. It can be a very powerful um, lesson and the reason I want that reading experience for everyone is because it's a collaborative art form. Uh, the writer is working with the reader, and the reader's working with the writer to make those black marks on the page come alive. So it's it's mm. a, a it demands something of you. Not that a movie doesn't demand anything of you, but a, a lot of it's set. It's this is how the castle looks. This is what the dragon looks like. Whereas the book is more like a game where you're mm. playing. Let's let's make believe, and I'll say tree, and you imagine whatever that tree is. So you, it's a very personalised, deep experience that happens over sometimes weeks and months of reading that book. Yes. So it's a different quality of of, of experience to the computer game to the, the movie. And we need a balanced diet of all of those things. I'm not yes. saying one is better than the other. But it's a, that's a remarkable way to approach writing, and, and that is that you're building a, a connection with, for you, thousands and hundreds of thousands of individuals who are going to interpret the tree or the monster yep. or the dragon differently. And that's, you know, you're giving them some information, but then giving them the, the responsibility and the freedom to imagine it and to craft it for themselves. That's, that's very, um, I guess, humble of you to allow them to take some control of the situation. It's beautiful. You say humble, but it's actually because I'm very bad at describing things. <laughs> I, and when I was a kid reading books, I didn't like long passages of description. I just wanted to get on with things. So I'll go, um, you know, here's our tree. Uh, we've got 13 new levels. Check it out. Yes. And then I just write a note to Terry, can you just draw that tree <laughs> so we can all just see what's going on mm. without the bother of having to describe it in words. So yes. it's it's a win-win situation. Sure. And when I go back to the books I loved, Enid Blyton, Faraway Tree, The Adventures of the Wishing Chair, I noticed that she did not have a lot of detail. Right. She just she just gets gives you just enough 
and trusts that the reader's imagination is pretty lively yes. and can do the rest of the work. So Yeah, that's yeah. great. That's great. And and giving the responsibility and the freedom to the reader to to take on that role is is terrific. This yeah. is called the Inspired by Yarra podcast. And I wonder if if you could kind of peel back the pages of your own memory to are there was there an event was there a, a moment was there an opportunity was there a teacher was there an experience that you would look back on now that that inspired you? it may not have inspired you to write but it may have inspired you to 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 be proud of who you are or to to be okay with your crazy thoughts or was there a moment of inspiration throughout your Yarra journey look there were there were multiple moments of opportunity uh, where I got to, as I said, print off that uh, that joke magazine for my Year 7 class. I was then drafted into the magazine committee uh, at Year 8. So from Year 8 to Year 12, I was on the committee uh, actively putting that magazine together. Um, there were other little publications that I did. And I, look, I do remember very fondly one teacher, Neil Bechevez, who I'm still in touch with these days. But I'd written, uh, we had a series of books uh, each year. There was patterns in literature, themes in literature, forms of literature. They were fantastic compilations of poems and short stories uh, with, you know, guided questions and things. Um, but I did a parody of it and I called it Explosions in Literature. And it was just a rather stupid um, set of stories and poems that just had explosions in them for no apparent reason. Uh, I was delighted with it. And I remember Mr. Bechevez said to me one day, he, he saw my, my stupid poem and said, Griff, you're, you, you, you can write better stuff than most kids can write squeezing their last drop of blood onto the paper, but you never bother finishing anything properly. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, whatever. Yes, you know, I've yes. got other things to do. But that, that message came back to me uh, 10 years later when I started applying myself to, okay, I can write, but how do I get better? Mm. And I started taking courses and... Uh, really practicing seriously, like for hours a day, um, and that was a very encouraging little message that kept coming back to me. Uh, he's, I said, "Well, I've obviously got something because that um, Mr. Bishop has recognised it." Yes. Um, and I guess the rest of my life has been learning to finish things properly, but. At the time and when, while you're at school, you don't need to finish things properly. Just have fun, mm. explore, and like play. Yes. It's, it's play. And you'll, you'll finish things properly when you need to put them into a form for publication. But until then, have fun, explore, yes. play. That's, that's the message. Oh, here we are. Here's the message of the Treehouse series, play. Allow yourself to play and fail every now and again because the fails will be the stepping stones to future success. Mm. And, and don't worry too much about the, the end product. Enjoy the process. And that's, that's what the, each Treehouse book enacts. In, in, in it's a little drama yeah. where they, they can't write their book because they're too busy fixing all the, the, the problems. And yes. then that becomes the, the process. Yes. That most of us are going to have to rewind the last 45 seconds and listen to that again. That was beautifully summed up. And I think as educators, that is part of what we want to encourage our young people to do as parents, that's as students, as kids, that's that's the almost for some people, maybe the permission that we need to get in there and just to live it, to, to play with it, to pull it apart, to put it back together the wrong way and to try again. It's, um, I appreciate that. Um, Andy, you've been generous with your time and we, we're going to try and land and finish this conversation um, in, in a nice, oh. neat way. I wonder if you would indulge me in a moment of a, a part of our conversation that I call the lightning round, where I've got a, a series of short, sharp questions. They might be one or two word answers, maybe a sentence. 
it might be stretching back into your memory banks a little bit, but let's see how we go. Are you ready to strap yourself in for the lightning round? All right, I'm ready. Andy Griffiths from the class of 1979, former Yarra Valley Grammar student. What house were you in at Yarra? <sighs> annals. <laughs> Very good. Well, we'll accept annals. <laughs> I we'll had to really... Annals. Is that is that even a house? I have to really think. That. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yes, no, they're, they're Sorry, still going and, and going okay. <laughs> um, this might be an even harder question. What was your contribution to your house? Uh, I was a pretty fast runner. Oh, good. Um, so I think that was my main talent on the sports field. Yeah. Excellent, excellent. Um, what was your first car that you owned and drove? Uh, it was a red mini miner. Did you name it? No, no. I, I, didn't, I, I don't approve of names for cars. <laughs> what would we likely see in your lunchbox when you're a school student? Uh, you would have seen a, a frozen sandwich, a, a half-thawed sandwich, because mum used to make all the sandwiches for the family ahead of time. Um, so, yeah, a sandwich, uh, a piece of fruit and probably a piece of cake. But on good days, uh, my friend Mark Buchanan would, uh, he always had more pocket money than me. He'd buy me two dim sims and a packet of Olos. Wow. They were, they were good days. Yeah, that's a good day for sure. Um, it sounds like uh, Mark was able to impress you sometimes with food. Um, if you were cooking to impress, somebody's coming over to your place for, for dinner, what's your go-to? What are you likely to uh, whip up for them? Uh, probably a, uh, tofu stir fry. That's, um, that's my, uh, my specialty. Yes. Well done. Yeah. You can invite three people to, uh, this dinner of tofu. Um, any, any time, any era, dead or alive, any in industry, who are three people that you'd like to have dinner with? Um, uh, I would have dinner with, uh, Mark Buchanan, Danny Pickett and Jeremy Kales. Wonderful, yeah. wonderful. We could just because I know to... I know I get along with them. I'm yes. not going to say Shakespeare or someone because <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Well, that that would be a good dinner indeed. Um, do you have a favourite item from your wardrobe? Um, mm, that's a good question. I'm checking what I'm looking at. Look, I'm wearing a uh, a Devo jumper at the moment. Devo were one of my very favourite new wave bands back in uh, 78, 79. And uh, some friends gave me a knitted jumper full of Devo stuff. So yeah, that's my prize uh, item. You mentioned before that you uh, tied a tie and you wore a tie. Do you still know how to tie, to tie a tie? And when was the last time you wore one? Uh, I can't remember when I last wore a tie, but I could still tie it. Yeah, don't don't worry about that. <laughs> it, there is something about repetition, isn't there? Yep. Finish this sentence for me. Before I sit down to write, I always... <sighs> Put on music. Mm. Um, music is a really fast way of, of connecting back into my creative sense it relaxes me it inspires me and um yeah i have a vast music collection um of all different types of music but yeah you need to, once you're feeling good the the words will flow much more easily yeah. i love it i love it what's one thing on your bucket list that you are yet to tick off um there are very few things left on my bucket list um I was asked if I would go parachuting the other day and I said, no, that used to be on my bucket list. <laughs> uh, not anymore. Um, it might be on one my... of those growing up maturing things, I think. Yeah. Um, I was just thinking about Iceland today. Uh, I went there a few years ago and it was an extraordinary mm. place. It was the, it was felt like visiting another planet. Like wow. I would imagine Venus to be. It was so strange and alien. So, um, Maybe you know I, I would go back there if we can if we can solve the problem of jets and plane travel uh, worsening the um, the climate crisis. Mm. I would go back to Iceland when mm. that's done. But the climate change is a very big concern of mine now, and trying to find ways to live, you know, a little more uh, gently. Uh, yes. 
on the on the earth. Mm. I, I like that phrase to live gently. It's uh, it's beautiful. What book are you reading right now? Uh, I'm reading uh, Carmel Bird, who was one of my uh, writing teachers, has written a book all about her library and all the books she's loved and weaving them uh, back and forth uh, through her life and connecting up her life. Uh, It's called Telltale. So um, I'm really enjoying that at the moment. So it it got past the uh, first line test and the first page test? Totally, yes. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's great. Um, I just have a couple more questions. We're nearly there. Lavavi Oculus is a phrase that you may be familiar with. Do you remember what uh, Lavavi Oculus, it's our school motto. Do you remember what that means? Lift up thine eyes. Well done. And what does does it mean today? Or, you know, what's the aspirational hope of that uh, that motto, do you think? Uh, Lift up thine eyes. I would see it as looking ahead to the future optimistically and with hope, with with active hope, Mm. um, that you can make a difference Mm. to to making that future better than it would have been otherwise if, if you weren't here. So um, I think that's my hope. And whether that's a small thing, making a difference for one person or um, writing a book for, for lots of people, it, it, it doesn't actually matter. It's just making that difference and getting outside of yourself to, um, to see what can I do, how, mm. how can I serve, yeah. Hmm. Um, Andy, what was your nickname at school? Uh, it was Griff. 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 Yeah. Pretty I consi- creative lot. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, um, I did consider because well, my real name. Not many. Here's a secret. And my real name is Andrew, uh, and that's what I was known as formerly. But um, when I began writing the books, because they were funny books and that's you know that's all I can write I try to write a serious book it'll come out funny um (laughs) and I just felt Andrew was a little bit formal Mm. and I thought I'll shorten it maybe uh to Griff Griffiths and I thought I was going with that for a while and then I thought "Eh, maybe it's a little bit too cute and so I went to Andy uh, Andy Griffiths so um anyone who knows me before 1997, will call me either Andrew or Griff. Okay. Uh, anyone after 97 will know me as Andy. Yes. And I, okay. I have to be very careful picking up the phone because if I call myself Andy to any of my friends at school, they go, oh, come on, mate, you know, you're, you're Griff. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, Andy, I, I knew you uh, after that time, so I, I'm comfortable with Andy if you are. And yeah, here's my yeah, last I, question, um, and that is, what question did you hope that I would have asked you today? And then can you answer that question? <laughs> what question did I hope you would have asked me? Um, I hoped you would ask me about my uh, experiences at Yarra Valley, and you have. So this <laughs> has been a great conversation. Fantastic. Andy Griffiths from the class of 1979, thank you so much for your generosity, generosity of time and storytelling and wisdom and insight for your ability to to weave in some stories in amongst the questions that we've asked you. And those students, those current Yarra Valley Grammar students, I know we're going to be thrilled with uh, the answers that you've offered them as well. I appreciate the insight that you've given us into reading, the power of reading, and also the joy that is at the author's side of that reading process as well. Andy, you've been delightful. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure, and thank you very much, uh, and to all the students uh, who ask those questions, and to to all of the students who are reading my books. It's a a bit of a, a head spin to think that that's happening. So, yeah, thank you very much. We love it and we'll continue to read them while you continue to write them. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) What a terrific opportunity to gain insight and perspective and listen to the reflections of the great man. Thank you, Andy, for your generosity of storytelling and allowing us to dig a little inside your thinking and your processing and the opportunity to go on some adventures with you as well. Thank you for your generosity of time and 
response to some student questions as well. What a thrill to be able to get alongside Andy Griffiths. I hope you also enjoyed this episode, this conversation with Andy Griffiths, award-winning Australian children's author. Much loved, well-read and truly inspirational. Hope you enjoyed all 101 episodes so far. We'll be back again with 102, episode 102 uh, next time. And I hope that you'll join us then. Encourage others, help others to download, to find, to subscribe to this podcast, the Inspired by Yarra podcast. As we will continue to share these episodes, these conversations, and see how other yogs, Yarra old grammarians too, have been inspired by Yarra. My name is Paul Joy, and on behalf of everyone at Yarra, and especially the small team who put these episodes together for you, I want to wish you another day of inspiration where you go out there with intentionality to make a positive impact in the world around you. Mm-hmm.